Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Reading this morning uh, comes from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 18. Uh, and as we read this together, out of respect for the Lord and His Word, I'm going to invite you to stand. And let's listen now together for the Word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, even as we hear those words, we are struck by how big and grand and mighty your work is, that you are up to far more than perhaps we are aware. And so, Holy Spirit, as we contemplate your truth, We ask that you would teach us and shape us and form us. Or we ask that in these moments, you would help us surrender ourselves more completely and fully to you. And that you would shape us. That we might be lifetime followers of Jesus the Christ child. That we come to adore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest mentors that I have had in my life... I met through divine intervention, or at least I think 
that's what it was. Uh, it was kind of crazy. I went through this season in the fall of 2013 and early winter of 2014, where about half a dozen different times, as I was going about my own business, I had various people from all different walks of life and all different places ask me if I had ever met this man named Jim Harrington. As they would say, have you met Jim Harrington? I'd say, no, I do not know him. I don't know who this is. And over and over again in these different places, well, the first two or three times, I just thought it was a coincidence. I didn't think much about it at all. But about, about the fourth time, I began to take notice. And finally, when one of my former seminary professors who lived a thousand miles away uh, asked me if I had met this man, Jim, finally, I bit. I said, could you at least introduce us? And so through an email, he connected us together. And after a couple of emails back and forth, I finally sat down for what would become the first of hundreds of cups of coffee and hundreds of hours of time spent together with this man named Jim. Uh, It was incredible. And I'll never forget uh, the afternoon that I was driving home from having met him for coffee for the first time, thinking about the excitement and the possibilities of what might come from this new relationship that was just beginning. I was uh, thinking about some of the things that he had shared. I was thinking about the way that he had listened to me in a way that I had not felt heard before. I was thinking about some of the vision that he had for ministry and life and spiritual formation. I'll never forget getting home that afternoon, kind of elated with what I'd experienced and beginning to tell my wife, Susanna, about meeting this new man who uh, had told me all these things that was so exciting and I could hardly wait. And she listened and was uh, excited and anticipating what I said. And finally, at some point, she stopped and she said, what did you say his name was? And I said, oh, his name's Jim Harrington. She said, you met him five years ago. I was like, no, I didn't. She said, yes, you did. She was right. She usually is. Sure enough, I had met him before. When I was doing my doctoral work, uh, we had taken a trip to Houston, Texas. And in the midst of that trip, we had met countless ministry leaders throughout the city of Houston who had spent time with us, sharing their vision for ministry. And Jim was one of them. We had spent about two hours eating a meal with him. We had listened to him share his vision for ministry. I had looked him in the eye and shaken his hand and told him how much I appreciated what he was doing. But in the season that I found myself, in that moment where I was when all those people connected me to him again, I had no recollection or no recognition of who he was or what I had experienced before. All of us have experiences like that, I think. Uh, I mean, you can think about maybe you've made a new acquaintance and you've texted with them or emailed or uh, talked on the phone even, but you've never met them in person. And so you decide the time has come that you're going to meet them and you set the place that you're going to meet and you don't do anything like, oh, I'm going to send you a picture or that kind of thing. Or uh, you, you don't think about that. You're like, oh, we'll just know each other. And then you go to the place where you're expecting to meet the person and if you're like me, then maybe you don't actually recognize them or it doesn't become as easy to find them as you thought it would. I bet some of you have had the experience where you've been driving to a place that maybe you went regularly when you were a kid or when you were younger. And so you know in your mind, you know the place. You're familiar with the place. You're like, oh, I don't need a map. I don't need to look it up online. I'll recognize what I'm going to see. And then you drive and you get there and it doesn't spark the memory or the recognition that you had hoped it would. 
and it's harder to find than you thought it would be. There's all kind of places in our lives where we we think we'll recognize something, but then before we even know it, we've missed it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It even happens with Jesus. The Gospel of John begins in a way unlike really any other gospel account or story of Jesus. Uh, There's a reason for it that it starts with these verses that I read this morning that seem so cosmic and big and ethereal in some ways. It's all because of what John's purpose for the whole book is. You can flip to chapter 20 and, and you can see really clearly the reason that John writes this gospel is because he wants everybody that can possibly know about Jesus to understand that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through him and through their believing that they might have life. He says it so clearly in the end that all you have to do is rewind to the beginning and you understand that the reason that he starts the book the way that he starts it is because he's trying to cast the net as wide as he can to say, what can I do to paint the biggest picture, to draw as many people in, uh, to catch as many people in the story as possible. And so trying to convey himself to the widest audience or meet the most people, uh, he goes as far back to the beginning as he can. And he begins his account of Jesus with this grand, incredible picture of who he is and what he's about. It's unlike any other description we get of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. New Testament theologian N.T. Wright uh, says that it is like driving up the driveway of a grand palatial house. Like something that you would see in the English countryside that maybe you weren't expecting and you pull in on a little gravel road and you're meandering along and then all of a sudden you kind of come around a clearing and there before your eyes is this grand house that that just is overwhelming and astounding and the, the longer you stare at it and look at it, you're like, I want to know what is inside of this place. That John paints this picture that is so grand and so big because he wants us from the outset to be so drawn in and excited and intrigued by what is going to come through the rest of this book that when we see it, we say, I have to know what is inside of that. We could spend literally a a whole advent just working our way through these 18 verses. There is more packed into these verses than perhaps uh, what we find in any other uh, pack, pack of scripture that we might look at in this Advent season. But there are some grand themes that we get introduced to that are uh, bigger than anything we've thought about. Uh, the way he starts, I mean, immediately, if you read those verses and then you flip back to page one of your Bible, you're, you're like, this sounds like the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, is how Genesis starts. And here he uses those words again because immediately he wants us to know that this is a part of that same story. In the beginning. But no sooner has he drawn us into this big, grand, cosmic story of God, than he lets us know that what is happening now is different. What is happening now is new. What is happening now is worth taking note of. And what he does is he introduces us to Jesus in a couple of ways that begin to help uh, set our anchor in who he is 
and what he does and what he's about. The first thing that he tells us, he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, that idea of the word was a philosophical concept even back in those days. And immediately when the original hearers or readers would have seen it, it would have begun to stir in their minds grand ideas of what it could be. But before John even kind of unpacks what this word does, he gives us some hints about the nature of this very word. Because what he wants us to see is that this is a part of who Jesus is. And he says that in the beginning was the word. And he lets us know that the word was eternal. That it's always been that this Christ child that we come to worship isn't just a baby that was an idea that was come up with in the middle of time. But he is the one that was eternal. In the beginning was the word. He says, and the word was with God, that he coexisted with God, that he was there from the beginning with God. And he said, and the word was God. Then he pushes a bit further. He says, nothing that was made was made without the word, that the word was the agent of creation. I mean, right there, those are four or five things about Jesus that are just mind boggling. If you really stop and think about it, that this savior who becomes a Sunday school lesson or a quick fill-in-the-blank of a devotion. That he is the one who, through him, everything that we see, everything that was made, was made through him. John doesn't let us stop there, though. As soon as he's kind of unpacked the character, he begins to push further, because what we see about the word is that when somebody speaks their word, when somebody gives you their word... It's a reflection of their character and their heart. If I give you my word that I'll do something, I'm revealing a part of who I am. The the first time that we see God give his word, it's in the act of creation. And that's why many would say that creation is the first place where God reveals himself to us. And what we see in this text is that when God gives the word, the word becomes flesh, is that he is a reflection or a revelation of the character of God. The very last verse of that text says that no one has ever seen God, but that if you want to know who he is, all you have to do is look at Jesus. John pushes a a bit further, and he says that this one who is coming, uh, this one who we celebrate, that he is the light. The character of light is incredible because it can't be overcome. No increased amount of darkness will put light out And so what we know about this one who's coming is that from his very uh, beginning, he is victorious. That he is unconquerable. uh, That he is the one that nothing can defeat. That he reigns supreme from the very moment we first learn of him. Not only is he just the light, that he is also the light of life. That this light isn't just something about our physical existence. uh, But that through him what we find is life with a purpose and life the way that it was designed. Uh, That in him we find that that there is meaning and wholeness and fullness and all of who he is. This grand picture, these kind of three attributes of who Jesus is. The word, the light, the light of life. That through him that we might have the ability. That through our believing that we can become his very children. It's a palatial picture of what we find unpacked over the next 20 chapters of the Gospel of John. It's compelling and intriguing. When I begin to think about that, and I think about who Jesus is, and I think about my relationship with him, part of me says, 
I don't want to miss who he is. I'm not sure that the vision I keep of Jesus in my mind, the relationship that I have with him is as grand as John 1 would make it sound. That perhaps I've reduced myself to some of the easy things that I've heard over and over again. Maybe I've listened to the world around me and the the picture that they give of Jesus. Maybe I really haven't pressed myself in fully to know this one who is the word made flesh. I think as compelling as this picture is that we see in these first 18 verses of the book of John, the verse that strikes me the most is verse 10. The verse that strikes me the the most is the one that says that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's remarkable to think that this one who was so grand, that this one who is the very reflection of the heart of God, that this one who was unconquerable and could give life was in their midst and they didn't see it. Perhaps they should have. Perhaps they should have recognized him. They, of course, were the covenant people. They were the one who had studied and known the law of God. They were the ones who had come up with ritual and behavior and wrote activity to try and help connect them to God. But yet when God came in their very midst, they couldn't see who he was. They were so consumed by the things they were doing and the ways that they were doing them that they missed his very presence in their midst. It's a little bit like meeting my mentor I should have recognized him. I had met him. I knew who he was. I understood his character. But my life had become so consumed by all that I was doing and going through that when I met him again, I didn't recognize him at all. Now, we find ourselves in a different place. But I don't want that to be said of us. We have the benefit of reading the whole story. We have the whole gospel of John. We're not watching this story unfold in our midst. But I think just in a similar way, it would be possible for us to miss him. To live with a comfortable picture of what we've heard in years gone by of Jesus. To live just on the sermons that we hear uh, once a week. Just uh, painting a picture that may be less than complete. And so today, as we anticipate the arrival of this Christ child, I want to invite you into a new habit. I want to invite you into a way of you not missing the Christ child among us. I want to invite you into a way that you can get to know the fullness of Jesus in a way that maybe you haven't before. Because if we want to be lifetime followers of this Christ child then the first step is that we have to know him. Uh, When you came into worship today, uh, we gave you a Christmas gift. You're welcome. (laughs) It's a soap journal. And I want to challenge you that as you finish this year and begin 2023, that you would take on the habit of soap journaling. I just have this wondering. 
of what it would look like if the people who want to be lifetime followers of Jesus immerse themselves in the Gospels in 2023. If we didn't live just on what the Sunday school teacher or the podcast or the video told us, but if we met God in the pages of Scripture ourselves, what would it look like if we reached this point a year from now and maybe are giving you a new soap journal and you said, I read the Gospels 12 times in 2023. All of them. Each time in a different version. And soap journaled my way through them. Maybe that's a a little more than you want to bite off. What if you said, I read them four times, each time in a different version, and soap journaled my way through them. This fall, we talked about how transformation happens. And uh, remember, we walked through this model that it's vision, intention, and means, that we have to have a vision of who God is and what it is that he really wants for our lives. And that's what John 1 shows us, is this grand picture of who Jesus is and what he wants in our lives. We have to have an intent that says, we want this. We desire it, not just lip service, but that we want to actively pursue what it is. And then we need a means because we can't transform ourselves, but we need a consistent habit, consistent things that we can do day in and day out, that if we will do them, will lead to the Spirit transforming us. What you hold in your hands is all you need for that process to happen. Uh, There's lots of instructions there. I'm not going to read them all to you. The page that says how to soap will walk you through the exact details. Uh, But essentially, it's a four-step process. And it's not complicated. It's not transactional. If you do it once, you can't all of a sudden go, ooh, look, look at what I've got. But it is transformational. That if we will pursue God over time, repeatedly, is that we will see him transform our lives. And so as you pick the scripture reading plan to work your way through the Gospels beginning on January 1st, uh, you're going to read whatever section of scripture it is. And the way I tell people to read is they're not trying to read scripture as though they were just emptying the dishwasher, just checking a task off and getting it finished. But you're reading it in a way that's really setting you out to engage with the transformation of God is that you want to read it slowly. You want to find a consistent place. You want to find a time you can do this. Maybe you get up 20 minutes earlier each day and commit yourself to reading. And then you're going to read it the way that you might walk through your front yard looking for a lost piece of jewelry. You're going to be scanning what you're reading, but you're looking for that thing that shimmers. You're looking for the thing that catches light. You're looking for the thing that God kind of stirs up or resonates in your soul. You might hear God whisper something to you as you read, or you might go, ooh, something about that catches my mind. And you underline that verse or you highlight it. And then after you've finished your reading, you come back and you pick one of those things that you notice, something that shimmered, and you copy that verse by hand on one of those pages. After you've worked through writing that verse down, then you move to the observation section, which is essentially just what you would think it is. It's observing what you notice there. It's saying, this is what strikes me about this. If I was picking that verse 10 that I mentioned just a minute ago, I might say, it's amazing to me that the people whom Jesus created in the world that he created missed the very one who created them. That's a simple one-sentence observation that I would write down by hand in my journal. And then you're going to flip in the application section to saying, where does what I've read and what I've noticed intersect with my life? 
how does this apply to me? What might God be saying to me right now? So if I was picking that verse 10 I mentioned a minute ago, I might say, I could miss Jesus too. I don't want to be a person that misses Jesus in the world that he created. That's an application. That's something true for my own life. That's taking what I've noticed out of the scripture, what I've observed, and saying, this is what God is speaking into me. And then you finish it by writing a prayer. Not a prayer that just says, God, bless this day. Thank you for these gifts. Forgive me my sins. But a prayer that takes everything you've done up to that point and says, Lord, forgive me for the times I've missed you. Help grow me that I might see you in every circumstance and every place. It's that simple. A few minutes reading, a few minutes journaling. And what I will guarantee you is that if you will take on a habit like that, that verse 10, what was true of those people when Jesus came into the world, won't be true of you. Because you, as you work your way through the Gospels, allowing him to speak and form in your life, you will find that you know him in a brand new way. I was so grateful when I look back that I got a second chance to get to know the man I had met once before. Susanna assures me that he was impressive and worth getting to know the very first time. And though I had forgotten him and didn't recognize him when I met, again, met him again, I was grateful for a chance to rebuild that relationship. John 1 offers us a picture of who Jesus is and an invitation to get to know him again. To not live just on the pieces that we've heard over and over again, to not live on tidbits of the story that other people share with you, but to cultivate in us an ability to recognize Jesus now. That's what the manger is about. That's what this Advent season is for. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, not just a cute and sentimental season. It's a place where we might meet the creator God, who through him we might have life that we can't find anywhere else. My Christmas wish and hope for you as you celebrate this week is that this would be the year where you grow in recognizing Jesus. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this incredible story that you unfold at Christmas far more than just the cute and tidy scene that we see in nativities or Christmas cards. It is a cosmic, transforming, eternal, eternity-changing, life-giving gift. And Lord, we don't want to be a people who miss you in our midst. And so Lord, as we finish this Advent season and begin a new year, Would you help us become a people that recognize Jesus? Make us hungry. Grow us deeper into you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.